The Home Show with Sinead Ryan. Brought to you by EBS. Let our dedication, focus and expertise help you on your mortgage journey. EBS DAC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. This is News Talk. You're very welcome along to The Home Show. This is Sinead Ryan with you on News Talk's programme and podcast, where we look closely at all areas of the home, from design and architecture to interiors and everything in between. You can contact us by emailing thehomeshow at newstalk.com or find me on Twitter at Sinead underscore Ryan. Designer, architect and artist Roisin Murphy is with us again. Roisin, it's very good to see you. How are you? I'm good, Sinead. Now, I believe that... Uh, you're looking at things Austrian. Tell me all about that. All things Austrian in Dublin this week. Um, I'm not quite getting to Vienna, but Dublin City Council are hosting a conference on housing and we're looking at the model in Vienna. And is it great? Is it much better than ours? Well, you see, it, it, anything I think is better at the moment than what we're doing, apparently. So this one relies on a model where Vienna has invested in apartment living and rental is the model but they do it in a completely different way to us where they buy 60% or 80% of the housing stock is rented but underpinned by public resources or social groups. That's, that's not, where that I'm heading. That doesn't sound like something that's going to go down terribly well in Ireland because mm-hmm. we're still really, really bad at planning our rental space, yes. our public housing space. And yes, and I am concerned at the moment that we're, we're not, not doing it right. And when it comes to, you know, what the architectural community are talking about at the moment, what kind of things are prominent? Well, apart from housing, which were and apartments and heights, there was a big furore about College Green this week. Mm, it's a mess. That's what the architectural community are the saying. Technical term the technical term is saying, green. look at this mess. I think they're talking about how come, say, Joyce's toilets, you know, the toilets were in the bank of College Green, which were you would have imagined would have been quite a significant little historic point in Dublin, right outside Trinity College. They've reused these all over London as little cafes. But we took them out to make this great big, you know, plaza. And it's a mess. It's not safe to cycle and we, on. It's and not we put safe in to walk on. Boxes and boxes outside Trinity College for electrical, I don't know what they are, yeah. cabling. And, and they're ugly. They yeah. don't all look the same yeah. and I know that's the least of it. Well, no, okay. I think you're right because it's it's the, his, you know, kind of it's a big centre and partly I'm kind of half hoping that it's some mad plan that they have where they're just going to pedestrianise a whole lot of it. That this is actually a great kind of mastermind. So we make it as bad as we possibly can and then we'll just leave the trams Anything and else people. Would be better. Yeah. Is that the plan for it? No. Oh. <laughs> I don't think so. It's just there's no joined up thinking on that again. I mean it's a phrase I keep using all the time. But there's an awful lot of disgruntlement within the community about this. They're going, what's going on? Mm. And I would say we'll be looking at it in the papers over the next couple of weeks. Because you have a lot of things you have to marry there. I mean, you have all the public transport. You still are driving around there. and I think they're going to have to get the cars off it, really. I just think... You know, if we're talking about Paris and models of Vienna and all of this, well, they kind of look good. And they have these great plazas. Like I was looking, it's the Louvre's birthday last week as well. Mm-hmm. And they put in, a, you know, they put a big, huge pyramid in the Louvre. You know what I mean? But yeah, they well, don't that was controversial, wasn't it? It was controversial. Especially but- when Dan Brown came along <laughs> and decided to write a book about what might be under it. <laughs> but these cities, I, and I, you know, I've, I've been in Madrid and we've been yeah. in Barcelona. And you're quite right. They do these squares, these plazas. Beautifully, beautifully and they're cobbled and there's yeah. little cafes and artisan buildings around it. College Green. It's it, hard to it's see. It's hard to see it at the moment, but it could be like that. And it's exactly what we were talking about last week in terms of the heights around Mountjoy Square. Like if we're going to go for this model of squares and urban plazas, we need all departments working together. We can't suddenly have all of the buses, the trams, the cars and the taxi ranks all colliding in this, you know, Irish Jew basically and is in that College the Green. best place if you are going to build a plaza and a kind of a national square is that the best place for it because it's just so you do not like College Green well apart from the old Bank of Ireland building I, I just I maybe I just can't see I don't have an architect's eye and all I can see is traffic and I, grime and noise and dirt. I see that you know the um, National Gallery when they, any of these exhibitions on kind of early 18th century Dublin 
I just see when they had no traffic mm. and the plaza in front of it. So I always think it would be a, a you great, could reverse it back to the horse and carriage back time. Well, okay. maybe, but like you could take more, you know, urban strategies other than a thoroughfare. And is there anybody, Roisin, who knows what's going to happen here? Or is everybody just doing their own little job to the side and hoping well, it will work Dublin together? Well, Dublin City Council are all over it like a rash, apparently. But mm. at the moment, I think Dublin and Dublin City Council and all of us are, there's more concern even. There's another building that has been bought up that is apparently going to get demolished, which is Kevin Street, the old DIT building. Oh, well, building. that's no harm. Ah, Sinead, you, you, <laughs> you know, Frank McDonald will be here knocking on your door. He'll be on the window going, excuse me, Sinead. It is not an eyesore. It is a mid-century classic piece of modern architecture right. in Dublin. So we've hardly any um, modern buildings listed at the moment. There's a big backlog of modern architecture. And if you're talking about Vienna and all of these fantastic cities, they have you know, they appreciate the architecture. They keep it intact before it's stoned and then it gets into the next century and everybody goes, isn't that beautiful? Imagine and we've done it beautifully with George in Dublin yes. and those fabulous doors and the fan yes. lights and all that. Yeah. That's definitely worth preserving. <laughs> but maybe maybe your idea of modern architecture okay. differs from mine. I'll tell you what it is. I, very old fashioned. I remember, well, think about it like this. 20, 30 years ago, I was sitting in Echo Street with a large cohort of architectural students so it wasn't knocked down. So this is Echo Street. A sit-in. Temple Bar wasn't going to happen. Mount Street. You know when you're going up to the National Gallery, there's a whole suite Mm. of Georgian buildings on the right-hand side. They were all deemed appropriate for demolition. So that's where... You know, you do have to think ahead and kind of go, Okay, this is an anchor building. It's very important that we keep these as they're the best of their kind. And incorporate your new stuff around them rather than instead of. Yeah. And there's a lot of discussion about that at the moment that we're kind of we're dropping off the face on all these points. You know, I don't know. It's because there's a rush to development again. The lads are all out with the Kangos and we're going for it. But and the number of cranes, uh, you know, it's it's kind of a game at the moment just to see how high you can count. Really. Yeah, and you how just high look, you stand you on can the lift on one, any one of the bridges, and as far as the eye can see, in both directions, all all there are are cranes. But it's that it is that notion of Dublin, it is that architectural vision of Dublin that needs to be very carefully monitored at the moment because the brakes are off in terms of the height. So where we go, the densities that everybody's applying may not be appropriate entirely for a city of our low deck to use a a word so that we have to be very careful how we do it Okay but those tall buildings would block out the cranes Yeah so the height there was a big reaction to our show actually when you were in talking about the apartment heights and we'd had Dr Ronan Lyons in because he was talking about the economics about those massive apartments and all that kind of thing so people are invested they're very interested and there seems to be a sense that it's too much too high Too much too high too soon Mm. And also because they're going on the back of planning permissions that were already new to us, say they would have gone up from a three story area, they're going up to six stories. Suddenly they're going back in and they're not going through the planning process. They're going directly into uh, on board. Planola. So mm. people are disengaged from the process. They're not being allowed in or not being voice. allowed to peel it in a lot yeah. of cases. And I think that there is something wrong there. But for me, the bigger issue as well is the and this did come out of the weekend on other programmes was the, you know, the big buyout of apartment buildings in Dublin. Mm. And mm. apparently it's we really are at risk. Yeah, I see. I think we're still decades. <laughs> We've been decades getting to, used to the notion of apartment yeah. living at all. And then they're going. <laughs> and now we're making them bigger and taller, and it's going to look like sky. Well, for I, us skyscrapers. I personally, I I agree with you. I think it's this, we could do it very slowly and very carefully, and it would be fantastic and graded so that you know where you're going with these heights. So that if you're going into the city centre, into a Georgian area, you're not going to suddenly be dealing with a, you know a big, huge Dubai-style apartment block, and everybody's. And see, I think that's the fear. People People look at what other cities have done with their skyscrapers and, and there is a sense in Dublin that anything, you, you see, when Liberty Hall towers over everything yeah. around it, there's that, that sense of, you couldn't bear to imagine you couldn't. apartment blocks and I don't level. And, I, and I actually think you don't find it in Paris. They, that's why they had the mansards and we need to occupy every square inch of Dublin before we suddenly start bursting up. And we also need to consider the fact that if we're in this, this this Irish obsession with buying also allows us to retire. And if we have that taken out of the equation, uh, where do people go when they sell off their houses? 
you know what I mean? Do you, yeah. if, if that so makes they can sense. Downsize, downsize back to yeah. the appropriate living space. Yeah. And that's a, you, you were talking about the Vienna coming to Dublin. That's that Austrian idea as well, that you only live in the space that you need to inhabit at your yeah. point in life. But they also, they, I have to say they've got good coffee shops as well. And there was also talk about there being too many coffee shops no, in Dublin. Never, never. Never. I was horrified <laughs> not, by not that. Possible, not horrified. possible. Uh, oh, speaking of coffee. Well, now, isn't this a nice surprise? Um, we've just been brought in, Roisin uh, Murphy and I, uh, <laughs> a cup of coffee in the beautiful Aaron, Aaron Street East Street Mugs, East Mugs that yeah. we talked about yeah, last they, week. They gifted them to and the station. And if you missed that, you can uh, check it in on our podcast on Newstalk.com. I got the lovely um, got uh, pomegranate, pomegranate yeah. uh, mug now. So I'm, this is wonderful. Excellent. We don't normally get this level of service, <laughs> I have to say, in here. So anybody else that wants to send us in anything, we will happily accept all it. Part and, of the service. and all part of the service, which is great. <laughs> and now one of the other items, yeah. uh, Roisin, that we had a great reaction to mm-hmm. was the week I think it was show two and it's again on the podcast and we were talking about bedrooms the boudoir and how important it is and designing it Uh, so let's look at an even if it's possible more important room in the house the centre of the home and that is the kitchen Uh, what's new in kitchens does everybody just want a big square box with a glass wall on the end now I think there there is a, pr- a huge prevalence of kitchens like that, where it's not really about the kitchen, it's more about the outside, which just probably brings us back constantly that that story about Irish people and how they, they love the outside. So the kitchen has to open out into a garden and it's probably because of the weather. But So the big glass doors are a huge feature and this large extension room on the back of the house was a kind of um, a kitchen that you could drive to Mars in. <laughs> In my opinion. <laughs> yes, some of them are absolutely enormous and they seem to have um, <clears throat> taken on so many functions. So you have a, a kitchen cooking area, a yeah. dining area, maybe two dining areas if you've got these high stools at a counter and then a, a living room kind of with yes. television and sofas. Yeah, I, I, It's just the whole thing is knocked through. And the problem I think is that you know, when your family moves on, your kids get older, there's nowhere else for them to go. Down the barn and shed, down the back. Everybody's stuck. Oh, well, this is the thing. So, um, you know, yeah. maybe maybe we've got lost the run of ourselves completely. In the kitchens? Mm. I think for me, the kitchen is a... I'm very interested in the kitchen because of what I heard about Germany, where basically... Um, there's a brand called Balthop, which I couldn't, I used to just love the look of it because it has all these pieces that you can buy, like pieces of furniture. But then when I unpick again why they, you know, have these kitchens, it's basically because they, you do a kitchen in your 20s, you bring your kitchen with you. So they have these freestanding kitchens that move with you as you move apartment. Oh, yeah, it's okay. nice, isn't it? That's interesting. Yeah. And it's kind of Legos together then. Yeah, it just comes, so you, you make a piece you then all apartments come without kitchens and you move into so you take your kitchen with you so this is where when you know when we talk about apartment models there's a huge backstory in everything there that happens absolutely in is and then now there's a penny dropping with me yeah. because my daughter lives and works in Amsterdam yeah and she had been viewing apartments with her flatmate and she found out that the first couple she viewed had no kitchen that's why she couldn't believe it she yeah. was she thought she was on a building site because she'd never seen that before and I've never seen that before but taking your kitchen with you well, I mean, that gets rid of all the crack of remodeling your house and smashing up Except what's there. Except if you, um, I've, I did it years ago. I did it because I liked the idea of a kitchen on legs. Nothing, nothing clever at all. Yes, where you can get right in underneath yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. So, and then when uh, I moved, we picked up the kitchen and went with us. And we put it into the effective building site and plugged it in and redid the house. So there are very clever things about a freestanding kitchen. Because as you, you know the way when the kitchen fitter comes and he plugs it all in and he hammers it all in and he's two days. And if he's doing an Ikea one, he is reading a manual like it is uh, the Bible. So it, it takes all that out. But it, they're far more expensive to invest in because they're a kitchen for life. But how do you know they're going to fit wherever you might move well, to? Well, you buy them in modules. Okay. They generally come broken down into different sizes or you could get a bespoke one. I worked very recently with with Damien O'Dowd, kitchen maker, and he made a very a bespoke one so that you, but you treat it like a table, like a piece of furniture. So you're not going to make one for the palace you don't have. You might but make one piece that say contains the sink and the dishwasher. So you bring that to one place, you know, your island piece or your piece that has the oven in it. Like it, it's a particular kind of way of thinking about a kitchen. 
Yeah, and I've seen that in a lot of when I'm going around new homes, especially the kind of at the upper end of the market, although what's that nowadays? Um, <laughs> you know, you're finding things in kitchens that had no part <laughs> and it was far from that we were brung up. Warming drawers, warming wine drawers. coolers. You see, I blame kind of Bake Off and MasterChef yeah, and all I this. I didn't we, know what a warming We're getting was notions um, for <laughs> what we are going to do with this because kitchens it seems to me the posh new ones are mm. built as if you're entertaining every two days you've come over all nigella and yeah and it, that's what but we don't we do don't that. i do i'm making spag ball for the kids yeah, but even with that i totally agree with you because i think um i've done i do these consultations mondays and fridays and i have done them for years where you go into people's houses and you, you know you take a brief you give them a brief you listen to them blah 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 basically out of the thousands i have done a handful of them entertain at home Young couples, old couples, downsizers, they all go, and I say, do you have many people around? And they go, they will have they fam- the, the family, the extended family around at Christmas or Easter. Yeah, or maybe, uh, you it. know, maybe on a kind of a birthday or something. But uh, the kitchens are designed. They're designed. As if you've got 80 people coming through. As if you're night. having a Heineken ad every weekend, yeah. that you're barbecuing out the back garden. It was such a relief. I was like going, oh, thank God I'm not weird. Like not everybody is socializing every other week. So what is that? Just aspirational or... or ah, I think we, we were very social in our heads. magazine head, looking. Yeah. yeah, I think you do want magazine. I think there there is an element of cooking. I think Irish people do like to cook. The kitchen is a very casual place. We're very informal people. So when people come and why it works for us is that people in Ireland, in my experience, you don't really go into somebody's house and sit on the couch. You come into somebody's house and go straight to the kitchen and sit in the kitchen, mm. around the kitchen. And you wouldn't even, if there's an island there, you'd hop on a stool. And now you have to walk 500 metres to get to the kettle <laughs> <laughs> or your Nespresso machine. You've got machine. a hot water tap, Sinead. <laughs> and as long as you don't use to wash your hands, it'd be grand. Yeah. The you scalding see, that, hot tap. That kind of thing, it just, uh, I just think, you know, sometimes they've lost the run themselves. Now, at the other end, uh, I've also been in new houses which are quite small uh, or or even apartments and they have the kitchen in this galley in the middle of the house which I think is it looks it looks as if it shouldn't be there and it's like it's been stuffed in to this space between the front room <laughs> and your sitting room I'll tell you exactly why that is because the kitchen and the house design starts off with light so you can often have a house that's back to front because not everybody is living in a row facing east do you know what I mean with the southwest garden or whatever it is? So I feel that the kitchen, don't be tied to the position of your kitchen according to, what you know, galley or otherwise. First of all, look for the daylight and then work your kitchen around that. Mm, even if that's in the front of the house, which makes no sense. I mean, why though? Yeah. Why not the front of the house? I, I don't know, because I'm just that kind of traditional old fashioned. Well, what, is that, what is <laughs> that tradition? Know. I don't want people that walking past and never go and seeing me eating my dinner. I understand that completely right but it wouldn't happen on the continent and apparently we're all going to turn into continentalers but I, I, I think that people still have the front room I think that's even the, you know you'll see the reason why we have these big huge kitchens at the back is because we still have the front room and we're still sticking the kitchen on the back in a glass box mm, I know and okay so then let's look at one other element in the kitchen yeah. before we finish up and that's countertops uh, a cause close to my own heart <laughs> because I'm looking at you know we all want the absolutely beautiful kind of stone or granite, yeah, know. you know, natural, this heavy thing, which yeah. is ferociously expensive yeah. uh, with our big built-in Belfast sinks. Yeah. Uh, but sometimes we just get formica, <laughs> wipe it clean because it's just nicer. Uh, so what should you look for in a countertop? What's the most important element? The most important element for me personally, because I live in a very small space, is the fact that I can put a pot onto the counter without having to get uh, that thing that you put underneath the pot in case you a burn trivet. a, a yeah, trivet. Yeah. Right. So I don't mind. For Mike, it's very good. It's on a lovely birch ply. Um, and I do regret not spending more on my countertop. Yeah, because it is a feature, isn't it? Yeah, and it's what bounces the light back around the room. I think you can always paint your doors, but it's very difficult to paint a countertop. Mm. So I think, again, where I would say you invest in your kitchen is the countertop yeah okay 
Okay, that's your excuse. That's <laughs> You're sticking my excuse. With it. All right, okay. Now, every week, Roisin, you bring us in an object of design for us to uh, go over. We're still drinking the coffee out of the Arran uh, Street East mugs that you brought in last time. What do you have us for us today? Okay, I have something really special today. Okay. And it is in my laundry, although it's <laughs> it looks brought like in it. an enormous... A lot of bubble wrap. Um, a lot of bubble wrap okay. and a protective bag. All right. Okay. So I'm like going to open this really carefully because it's quite delicate. It's a very special piece that was given to us <gasps> to show you this morning. Well, this is extraordinary. Uh, now, <laughs> you've given me a challenge in trying to describe <laughs> I this. I know what this is. Tonight. It is... <laughs> Uh, a very deep egg yolk yellow. It is uh, a structure about two feet tall in old money. Uh, now, I would have thought it was a vase, except first of all, it doesn't stand on its own. Mm. And secondly, it's got holes punched yeah. into its base. Please tell me what this is for. This is made by Roisin de Butler, who is uh, one of our most eminent glass artists in the country, among other things she does um, but this is a thing called a chanter and it was made especially for Lima Mwainly oh so it really is what I would call as applied art where she would also make vases things like that, that you know this idea that we have of colour or what an object for the home is so it's um, part of the arsenal of fantastic Irish applied arts that we have that you can buy pieces of for your house this, I'm not sure, is really for sale, but it's something of her work. Like, it's she does incredible work. Absolutely beautiful yeah. looking. And so actually a musical instrument. He wow. plays it. He play, I mean, I tried it for the last three days, got all the kids to try it, and it's... How I couldn't. Do, well, you have to show us now how <laughs> you even begin to go about right. playing it. Okay, I couldn't because get a single note out of it. Okay. So what you do is now, it is made for Lima Oh, Wendy's you're holding hands. it. Okay, so you're holding right, it so like you, you would yeah. a bagpipe. Yeah, but I can't, I can't, I can't get out of it. All I could do is blow into it, but it's worth also about four thousand euros, believe it or not. Hey, so we just left that down very, yeah, very you can gently. See how beautiful there, it is, but it's this idea of color as well. So, in a piece of glass, you have the opportunity to kind of really what we talked about last week of introducing colors in different mm. ways. So, I just thought this, this is some color pop and a talking point yeah. because you have that in your room. Yeah. Um. Hopefully, very carefully uh, out of the way of children. Uh, it's the first thing yeah. somebody's going to ask you when they walk in. Yeah. What is that? It's beautiful, isn't it? It's a bit, and it's a piece of heritage. It's a heritage piece. So, but and it, there is lots of artists making that. She's actually going an exhibition on the fourteenth, uh, which she'll put details on the Instagram account of with the basket makers. So they're part of that culture mm. of uh, Irish mm. people all getting into the applied arts and, and, and stuff that you can have in your house. And even though this is really, really modern, yeah. it's based on a very traditional form of instrument. Yes, so it is. It's, it's marrying yeah. that really, isn't it? Yeah. And she also gave me, and they do another thing on recycling glass, which is the thing they do, and this especially for the studio, okay. which are, you know, when you've had a beer in a barbecue. I do. <laughs> that I do know. <laughs> oh, they're the small little beers. Oh, look at those. Yeah, so so these are glasses, yeah. uh, small glasses, small made glasses. out of the bottom half yeah. of a beer bottle yeah. before it tapers in at the top. Yeah. So they do uh, that green glint studio. Well, this is a fabulous excuse to yeah. buy more beer. Yeah, and also it's for it's this idea of, you know, reduce, reuse, recycle. Yes. It's a lovely idea. So that's, that's such a great they, idea. They do that in an ex, a time for work thing. I don't know how uh, the girls do it. I don't know how Roisin and her partner do it, but they basically, I think it's for young people come in, they just give up their time and they make these. Mm. So they have a very sort of wide um, karmic thing going on there. Now, the next thing I have for you, because... Uh, so, sorry, where could somebody get these now? Uh, you contact the Glint Studio. Glint, and, uh, okay. And that's in Dublin? Yeah, it's in Dublin, mm -hmm. in Sandy Mount. Um, these are... Postcards. Lovely. You probably know what I'm going to talk about now. This is a famous exhibition that's happening um, this weekend okay. in the Solomon Gallery and it's incognito. These are all copies of random artists and these are, you buy a, a piece of work for 50 euros. But it, the artist is a surprise, isn't that surprise, right? Yeah. And you don't know who you've you got who until you've got. after you've bought it. And I think this is an aid of um, Jack and Jill Foundation, that's exactly isn't it? That's right, yeah. So they well, just now, sent them in. that's a fantastic cause. I have to say I'm included in this this year, but, ah. also, but also as Bono and other people are who you, are less are famous Are you allowed to tell me. us which one is yours or is your <laughs> No, not. none of these are mine. None of these are mine, okay. but no. I, and they're, they're all actually so different. So it's really just about don't try and second guess the artist. Just go for the one that strikes your soul. 
and I think even if you even if you if it's not somebody famous, you're still giving fifty euros, you know, to to a really yeah. good cause. Yeah, and it's part. It's now now really very much part and of it's the art calendar that you in just Dublin. Love seeing you. Just want to see. Yeah. Actually, it's traveling this year as well. It's traveling for the first time. I think they're going down to Cork as well. Okay, great. So that's incognito, incognito. Uh, and it's for uh, Jack and Jill, which okay. is of course I a think fantastic uh, charity. So it's to be. It's actually opening today, as far as I know. And everything from portraiture to uh, animals, and landscapes, ma- and Mazer. I think we spoke about him at the very mm-hmm. beginning of this. Um, he's he's included too. There's some really serious artists in this. Great. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's something for everybody to get uh, on the the bottom step of the ladder with art, and you may. Uh, count yourself lucky and end up with something uh, fantastically valuable as well. Finally, Roshi, now the grey debate continues. Now we're not talking about older people in their homes. <laughs> we're talking about the colour because we had a bit of a Ferrari, you'll recall, last week about uh, wh- where the grey is in yes. or out or gone or whatever. You're you're not a big fan. I am a big fan. Uh, you have a third party intervention. I have a third party intervention. I, as again, I would say my house is grey, so I can't be accused of hypocrisy because I do like grey. It's not for. It's not. But I got on good authority. Uh, Kirsty from House and Home, the editor. I was on to her because we're talking together in the ideal homes, and I said, "What's your thoughts on grey, Kirsty?" And no prejudice, but you know, she said color. She mm. said it's pattern as well. Okay. So she said it's grey still for the home, but trend setting is definitely gone to colour. Oh, right. OK. Well, she's sitting on both fences there, so that, <laughs> that's fine. We'll take that. Uh, OK. Well, if you have any questions or you want to contribute to any topics, uh, contact us on the home show at Newstalk.com. Uh, Roisin Murphy can be found on Instagram at Roisin Murphy Design. Beautiful postings nearly every day uh, about thank lots of things, me. not all of them grey. Uh, <laughs> and thank you so much for coming in to Thanks us today. Thanks for having me. Cheeky. <laughs> the Home Show. With Sinead Ryan. Brought to you by EBS. Let our dedication, focus and expertise help you on your mortgage journey. EBS DAC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. This is News Talk. We're joined now by Eddie O'Driscoll. Eddie is the director of auctioneera.ie. Eddie, thank you for joining us this morning. Thanks very much for having me. Tell us a little bit about your background. Well, I suppose my background uh, traditionally or originally was in digital marketing, um, which I've been at for over 10 years at this point. Um, I did that pretty much straight out of college. I did a commerce degree in UCC, uh, got involved in that, um, building websites, online marketing, etc. I guess Auctioneera came then from that, from personal experience, in that um, I was involved in selling my property and buying one and one of those moments where I thought maybe things could be done a little bit better um, through the use of some of our skills that we picked up over the years in digital marketing. Um, and then we brought Glenn Henley on board, who brought in the property now, so to speak. And it was that partnership then that brought um, Auctioneer to fruition. So tell us then, what does Auctioneer do and how does it do it differently? Yeah, so we're um, a, a fixed fee estate agency. So we do everything that a traditional agent does. Um, the only thing that we do a little bit different, quite a lot differently, is that we charge a, a fixed fee of €1,299 Euro plus VAT. Um, that differs from the traditional model in that the traditional model is you pay the agent a percentage of the sales price. So to put that in context, one of our agents was meeting um, a vendor just the other day um, and their property was anticipated to sell for in the region of €450,000. The fees that they had been quoted were in the region of one and a half to one point seven percent. When when you say it like that, it doesn't sound too bad. But if you take one point seven percent plus marketing fees plus VAT of four hundred and fifty thousand euro, it was over ten thousand euro to sell the property. And these were three elderly ladies, and they had a look at this and said, "Hold on a minute, you know, this seems a little bit expensive. Maybe is there another way of doing it?" Thankfully, they contacted us, and we will sell the property for the same price as what would have been achieved otherwise, um, but we will charge them a fixed fee, so we'll save them in the region of €9,000. 
And do you do what other normal, let's call them estate <laughs> agents, do? List it on, say, my home, yeah. on Daft, provide a brochure, go around yeah. and do site visits, let people yeah, into the exactly. house and show them around. So maybe just take yeah the, the process of, of selling a property. So basically, that starts with. So we do it. We do everything, but basically, it starts with the initial inquiry coming through, and um, we do our couple of hours of desk-based research in terms of recent sales in the area, asking prices, then our agent, so all of our agents, fully licensed PSRA estate agents, go out, meet the vendor at the property, present the written market research to them in terms of the the, the goal there is to establish the AMV, advised market value, or asking price. Um, so we do that on-site uh, visit to establish the asking price, present that to, to the vendor. Then if they decide that they do wish to go with us, then we do everything that you would expect. So professional property photography is probably one of the main things. We're pausing on that for, for a minute in terms of you will st- still see on Daft and My Home agents taking photographs on their camera phone or in their phone, which really just we think those days should be passed. So every vendor that comes with us gets a professional property photographer will go out take proper photography give the property the respect it deserves um, 2D floor plans we upload them to Daft and My Home and our own website as you would expect um, then we do all of the open viewings uh, we do private viewings if people can't make it to an open viewing accept all of the offers um, and we're a little bit different in terms of so we will accept offers over the phone or by email but you can also make an offer on our website which makes us a little bit different to a lot of the incumbents and then as well we actually put the offers up on our site so that's the transparency angle so we're, we're kind of different in two ways the main way I guess is is the, the lower fees um, but also we put the offers on the site so this idea of you know a fairly um, secretive process whereby the agent holds all of the power we, we, we think that that's not in anybody's interest. We put the, the latest off. So if you go onto our website, auctioneer.ie and click on properties for sale, you can actually see all of the... Okay, so you, could, you so it's more transparent in the sense that if somebody makes a solid offer, you pop it up on the website so other potential or, buyers Or they can actually put time. it up on the... They mm. can actually log the offer on the site themselves if they wish. Right, okay. But it's not an online bidding path platform in that Well, sense. no, it's, it's it's not an online bidding in that it's, it's not an auction. It is a private treaty sale. So... In private treaty, any offer that is made is subject to contract, so it's it's not a legally binding offer. In, in the same way as if you, for example, went out to, a, as you say, a traditional estate agent, went to a viewing um, and emailed them an offer. That that offer isn't binding, really. It's, it's a private treaty. It can feel a, a little bit like an online auction at times. It's not. It's private treaty. But what's your, what's your penetration in the market? I mean, are you all over Ireland? Are you mainly yeah, so, in the cities? Or? Yeah, so it's, it's a good question. I mean, our, our main focus at the moment is Dublin and Cork um, the, being the biggest markets. Um, we've been received, so we've sold um, just coming up on 10 million euro worth of property. We, cal- we calculate, if you take the, the 10 million and you apply a 1.5% um, traditional fee to that and then you subtract what we charge, we estimate that we have saved our vendors to date over €125,000. So we're just really getting going um, at €10 million Euro worth of sales. Well, we're, we're in business about just coming up on, on a year um, in uh, May. So we're still relatively new in terms of just being in Dublin and Cork. Obviously, we're... Uh, we're recruiting at the moment, so we're we're looking for for agents uh, wherever we can hire them, and obviously the the plan is to to go nationwide. Yeah, in, in, you see, in so, so some people might suggest uh, that having a local estate agent, mm. one of the benefits when you're selling your house is you're going to the woman or man down the road who has a really thorough local knowledge. They may have been doing it for 10 or 15 years. They know every street, they know every road, they know every alleyway, and they know exactly what type of buyer they're going to get. Now, you can't really do that mm-hmm. unless you have that branch network. Yeah, um, so I respectfully disagree, of course. So I suppose th- there's been a, a few key uh, developments. So the first one is the property price register. So the property price register has very much democratised that local knowledge. So you can go onto the property price register. We have a copy of it on our website. You can go to auctioneer.ie, click on resources, property price register, and the actual selling price, not not asking prices, the actual selling price of every single property in the country since, two, residential property in the country since 2008 is on the property price register. So we can all see, so this, this thing that um, you have to have physically sold the property three doors down the street to know what's an achievable price. Those days are gone in that you can see it on the register. Then in, 
so so that's the first point in terms of the, the local knowledge establishing an asking price. So we could, we do as I refer to the the two hours of. Um, market research that we do and we put all of that together in a report so we can have all of that knowledge at our fingertips anyone can obviously asking prices you can see on daft and my home the other uh, inverted commas benefit of um local knowledge is having these pool and, and it's it's a real misnomer and, and these, un- of, these underbidders yeah, these, underbidders, these people yeah. who didn't just quite make it the I'm last glad, time I'm out. glad you asked me the, the underbid it's a it's a huge misnomer and in our view it's used as a smoke screen to justify the fee. So basically, I have these pool of underbidders that I proprietar- proprietarily own. You know, I'm the only guy who has these under. So these underbidders have gone out to try and buy number forty, and they weren't successful. And then they all go home and go, "God, we're going to sit around now. And we're going to wait for the agent to call us back." That that's not how it happens. What happens is they go home and they get onto Daft and they get onto my home and they start searching. And if your property is on Daft and my home with really great photographs. 100% of the market will know that your property is for sale. So so the, the and and again just on the local knowledge all of our agents are from Dublin the front you know the front yeah. it's it's not like we, you know we have agents from our agents are local to Dublin they're not No they're I understand that um, Eddie but it is a little disingenuous to say that the you know the DNGs and the Lisneys and the Sherry Fitzes of this world don't actually have a panel of of people that they are dealing mm. with regularly who are on their books I'm sure if they were here they'd be saying we have dozens and dozens of people, hundreds probably because of the pressure in the market at the moment, who are dying to buy a three-bed semi in the location mm-hmm. where somebody just went over their price. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Isn't that fair? I mean, isn't that no, what a no, seller wants I, to know? And I, 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 I don't think it's fair because, so there, there's all these guys and you, they're dying to buy a three-bedroom semi-detached in Sandyford and, and they're sitting around waiting for the agent to call them. No, they're not. They're, they're on Daft and they're on my home. Three bedrooms, semi, Sandyford, and looking through the listings, clicking them, browsing them, seeing when the open viewings are going. The concept of any agent having proprietary exclusive access to a panel of underbidders that the rest of us, if only we could... its its uh, Forgive me, but it's utter nonsense. It's utter nonsense. They're on Daft, they're on my home. If your property is on Daft and my home with really great photographs, 100% of them. And I think it's really important that we dispel that myth because what happens is agents go out and say, I've got all of these underbidders and it's like, well, auctioneer doesn't have these underbidders. There aren't after my home. Well, why have an agent at all? Why have an agent? Well, I mean, I suppose (laughs) it's a good question. I mean, the agent agent adds value in terms of setting a realistic asking price. So that is an important thing. So the agent will go out, present the research, set a realistic asking price. Um, and I suppose it is a friendly, um, qualified professional to guide you through the process. Because look, there are hundreds of thousands of euro at stake every single time. So it's that professional to guide you through the whole process. I suppose in terms of why have an agent at all, I mean, originally when I was thinking of selling my own property, um, it, I, I think it is something that, that you can do yourself. I think a lot of people, people do sell their own properties themselves. However, when I went through and added up all of the, the costs of the photography, a for sale sign, taking all of the phone calls, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, I said, okay, if someone could do this for maybe a, a thousand or twelve hundred, I'd pay them that, but I wouldn't pay five, six, seven thousand. But do you not feel that um, if an estate agent is charging a percentage, mm-hmm. then they have a vested interest mm-hmm. in absolutely maximising the price you're going to get because exactly. they get more money. And and it's 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 another one of the misnomers. This I'll get you the highest price, and and you know, and it's used all of the time. So as soon as you hear I'll get you the highest price, and it's an agent came out and said I'll get you five hundred. Another guy says I'll get you four fifty. We'll, we'll give him a go because he'll get us. But there's nothing that's going to incentivise him like a percentage. Uh, well, okay, of the take uh, no, uh, absolutely. But this thing that there is a highest pr- there's a market price, and the market price is what the highest bidder is willing to pay. So he's going to get. You, how, how is he going to get you a higher price? In other words, it's a, so in terms of how we um, sell property. You don't think they work a little bit harder if they're two percent or one percent? But how do you work? Har- and and I, I'm, I'm I'm not being but. How how do you work harder? In other words, you accept bids from people who want to buy the property in a competitive, open and transparent bidding process and the highest bidder buys the property. So we get you the market price, what the highest bidder is willing to pay. Um, this this idea that somehow there are two, you know, there's an auctioneer price and then there's, you know, XYZ estate agent and they'll get a higher price. We'd all, if, if we're all doing our jobs properly we will get you the market price and that is what the highest bidder is willing to pay and 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 we will save you thousands of euro in terms of how we go about doing that 
And, and the crucial thing is is that everybody from, from an auctioneer transaction, buyers and sellers alike, can walk away from a sale that was a fair, uh, open, transparent, transparent, competitive bidding process and the highest bidder buys the property. And that's as it should be. And, and, and I really want to just hammer home that point this idea that he'll get me a higher price again it's nonsense there's there's a market price and we'll get you that okay well if people want to find a little bit more about auctioneer and how they work on their fixed fee basis they can hop online to auctioneer.ie for now eddie o'driscoll thank you very much for coming into us today thanks very much for having me the home show with sinead ryan brought to you by ebs let our dedication, focus and expertise help you on your mortgage journey. EBS DAC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. This is News Talk. Now, if you're planning an extension or a home renovation project, you'll be delighted to hear that architects and interior designers Peter Crowley and Deirdre Whelan are with us uh, today. Now, they're familiar to many from their role as judges on RT's Home of the Year show, and they're going to be around in Dublin's RDS next weekend for the Ideal Home Show, providing tips and advice today. We have them all to ourselves, though. Dear to Peter, you're both very welcome to studio. Thank you. How are you? Now, what should be people's main considerations when they're thinking of putting on an extension? I mean, there can't be anybody, you know, living in a small home today who feels, gosh, I'd love to kick out that kitchen and make a giant big box with the glass wall on it. Um, and, and they really are very, very popular. Or maybe it's an extension upwards to provide extra bedrooms. Mm-hmm. What's the first step? I suppose the first step is looking at what you have. Yep. So um, uh, most houses, people, if you've lived in a house, actually it's a great advantage because you understand the home, you understand where the sun is, you understand what, I suppose, what space you have available to you and what the potential might be. Whereas if you buy a new house, it can probably be a little bit more abstract and you're not entirely sure. So if you've lived there, it's always a, a help. It doesn't have to be that way, obviously. Um, and from there, really, it's a case of assessing how much space there is. Light is really, really fundamental. So we need to understand where the sun is. Try and get some of that in because I think humans are a bit like cats or wallflowers, aren't they? We love being warm and we love being in bright spaces. So once you can understand where that is, then you can start to look at the internal layouts, really start to look at what might appeal. So a lot of older houses are series of rooms, small spaces, and people now want larger, maybe more open plan spaces where the whole family can be together and you can start to explore what's possible there. Mm. And um, Deirdre, there are rules about what kind of extensions require permission and what ones don't. What should people have regard to? Because it's not just about getting in the builder, is it? (laughs) No, it's not, no. And to be honest, uh, that's probably more Peter's area. The only thing I was going to add to doing extensions, you really need to think about what it is you want at the end of the day and what isn't working for you in your home. Because sometimes an extension isn't even necessarily necessary because you might actually have the rooms in the home, but you're not using them correctly. And sometimes you could just break open uh, one room to another and opening up the back of the house to bring more light into the home. And so of course, that would be a, that would be a cheaper alternative course, than building an yeah, extension. And no planning permission would be required generally if it's not yeah. a listed yeah. home. So it makes it a lot quicker and easier to do. And I, I, I think it's 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 always important to make a list of the things that are not working for you and what it is that you're looking for in the renovations that you're going to do to your because home. Because there's no point in putting on a big kitchen extension if in fact what you need are more bedrooms for your kids. Mm-hmm. It's a very valid point. We've actually been, um, <clears throat> we've actually had clients come to us a number of times looking for extensions and ended up not extending yeah. the home yeah. because when you look at what you have and you look at how that could be adapted first and used, you know, you'll often find people looking past rooms, rooms they've just written off, forgotten about. Yeah. They live in the other half of the house and you start to realise, well, if we could open it up together, if we could get light yeah. through there, this could all be different. And yeah. I think people have a habit of maybe shutting off the potential in those areas. And and of course, there was this um, uh, pension for years and years ago, building older houses with lots of small rooms, like nearly like a rabbit warren. Whereas nowadays, it's just this flow and you, know, you have to see living. the back yeah. of the house from the front of the house. So I think you're, I think that's a good point because people may have a dining room that they only ever use maybe, yeah. I don't know, a few times a year. Yeah. Well, maybe, it's like the good room, over. you yeah. know, and you kind of go, yeah. uh, well, you're paying a mortgage on this house. You'd yeah. want to use every inch of it yeah. uh, and and spare bedrooms. Why do you need a spare bedroom? Get your friends to stay down the road <laughs> in a bed and breakfast or whatever. But, you know, uh, use the home for your 
benefit rather than for other people's benefits, you know. It's a lot about building technology, you know. Things have changed hugely over the years and the reason houses were a series of small rooms was to do with heat. It was to do with comfort in the yeah. space. So where the house couldn't hold heat, you made small rooms, you pulled the curtains, you lit the fire <laughs> and then you'd have a warm room and yeah. you didn't worry about the rest. Whereas now, with the way building technology has moved on with people's focus on energy and not losing heat. So glazing has come on so much, insulation has come on so much. Houses don't lose that heat anymore. So you can then open them up and the whole home will sit at whatever temperature you like. So maybe so. it would be a good idea then to get uh, an internal plan drawn of your house. You know yes. the way you see it for, for yeah. a new house or a house that's up for sale and you see where all the rooms are and maybe just looking again at where walls are, where doors are because you have, yeah. to, you have to regard now to things like supporting walls Absolutely, and lintels yes. and you can't just knock through everything. You know, no, it's good to get a bit of architectural down. advice yeah. I think when you're doing okay, it. You know, okay. And it might be well worth just even getting them to look at a layout for you and then deciding where you want to go after that. Okay, so you might end up with a a totally different plan. Absolutely. Okay, so Peter, if it is the case then that you decide, no, I do need an extension, I want to throw it out. Uh, What are the planning restrictions around that? You have to have a certain amount of garden left, don't you, for instance? That's right. Yeah, so in simple terms, now there's a a document that deals with this and there's all sorts of regulations, but in simple terms, 40 square metres is the most you can build. Now that's actually quite a large extension like in this is without planning without planning in certain regards I think our laws are very lax in that that's quite a big extension that's quite a lot you can add to a house now you also need to have 25 square metres of garden left so you can't just fill the rear of your house and if you want to build on the first floor there's 12 square metres of a maximum but there's offsets from boundaries and various Mm. different requirements it rarely works on a first floor but in terms of the ground floor, there's quite a bit of scope. So so tell me then, so if it's 40 square metres, that means mm. kind of out. Mm. Is there a height restriction there? Because what, what about building a gigantic kitchen and then putting a huge atrium on it or something like that? Is that allowed <laughs> or not? Uh, you're Basically, if it's a single storey extension, you should stick to about three metres tall. Um, you can build a first floor extension though, if your house is already two storey. If it's a bungalow, it's different. And once you stay inside, so what you've described wouldn't be impossible possible actually in certain situations but not for everybody you'd you'd need somebody just to check it out for you but like I said there's quite a bit of scope without planning and you don't really want to annoy the neighbours as well you You want to stay friends (laughs) (laughs) now instead of building out what about building up Uh, the loft at the attic is a very underused space in a lot of houses and I know there are problems you know if you don't have that lovely high pitched roof where you could put in a new bedroom Um, if you were designing um, a space, uh, Deirdre, uh, that you already had. Say you had your attic just floored and it was mm-hmm. used for storage and you thought, gosh, I'd love maybe to put an office in here or a games room or something like that. What what considerations would you take into place? Ju- just if you have that ordinary roof that a lot of it has, it doesn't go all the way up and you can't stand in it. Well, you need light for starters um, and you need good head height. You know, some people are very small. <laughs> we were in a house where Peter wasn't able to stand up in, in the loft space, but the owner would have been. So uh, it's it's kind of who's going to be the end user of the space. Is it children or is it adults? And fire is a very important aspect to consider. You know that people need to be able to escape safely from the attic down to the ground floor and out of the house so um, once you go from a two story house to a three story house, the fire regulations completely change. And a lot of people are totally unaware of this. So, for instance, you know, in most houses, the staircase, it's, it's just open. It's part of the hallway. That's not uh, necessarily compliant if you have a third floor. So you would have to switch, for instance, every bedroom door to a fire door with closers, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. So it's oh, almost so like that's commercial. A, that's a huge job yes. then huge. because, yeah. I, you know, I, you do see these lovely staircases mm. that are just a flow mm. of what was already there mm. and they are like a dog leg and they turn yeah. around up into the attic. But you're saying if you actually have that access now, you have to think about your first floor. You have to change everything oh, through, yeah. up, through, yeah. and through the three floors. Um, so, And I suppose the other thing to say is if your roof is not tall enough that you can stand and you need to extend that upwards it's planning permission there's no way around that because yeah. you'll have altered the, the ridge height see, I think so many people just see that as dead space and they think look mm. I'll put a floor there stick a bed up there it'll yeah. be grand mm. you know and, and one of these yeah. pull down ladders but mm. but it is more complicated than that and more expensive than it presumably. is and I suppose to be fair the, the reasoning for the, the uh, regulations changing is fairly simple you're two stories away from safety now if yeah. there's a fire so if there's a fire in the kitchen you've got to get through the first floor and down through the ground floor. So mm. it's fair enough that the regulation is yeah. more stringent. It, do, it does make sense yeah. when you say it mm. like that. Um, 
is it difficult getting a builder at the moment, yeah. especially in Dublin? <laughs> Good builders, Gosh. very hard to come by. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. and yeah. you know, are they? I don't. I don't want kind of this to sound wrong, but are they bothered? With small jobs. It's difficult because the market is so good for them that small jobs are challenging because they take as much time as a bigger project does. So the infrastructure of setting up on site and all that. And you do need to be recommended a good builder by either friends who've had a good experience with um, the builder. It's all about having a good relationship with the builder once they're on site because it's very invasive. And certainly if you intend to kind of even live in part of the house, it's a messy job and it's very stressful. So. Yeah, and um, where are you at, by the way, on moving out? Because yeah. I, I couldn't bear to have even the s- smallest amount of work done and, and be living around that yeah. dust. And I do yeah. wall punched through yeah. once. I will never forget it. I was <laughs> the dust. finding dust six months later in what I thought was a spotless house. Yeah. Uh, it's a really messy job and it doesn't really matter what sheets you put up no. or plastic no. or anything yeah. like that. It's horrendous. Yeah. So for a building, do you recommend people move out? Because I mean, where do yes, go, generally then? you would. Uh, and especially if you've got children from a safety point of view. Uh, I mean, we had builders in our house and it was extremely stressful. And I had everything bagged and it's still, as you say, you, you knew what you were doing. Six, no, well, <laughs> I don't know, because I still found dust, as you say, six months later in corners. Where I, thought, I thought there was no dust getting in. Um, and, and also... Um, when builders are on site and you're there, you kind of feel like, are they moving quick enough? Are they doing things right? You're better off to be removed. You from become it. an I amateur project manager. Maybe yes, too. and not oh. a good, that's not a good okay. thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so move out. If you can't, it does add to the cost though and yes. just finding rental property for three months or, or something like family. that. Or moving in with family. <laughs> Gosh, it's no, the, lesser, the lesser of all evils yeah. you're trying to find, isn't it yes, really? Yeah. Yes. It does and it's very inconvenient, but actually we would advise every single yes. client to move out. Yeah. What um, would you ask for in a builder when you get them in um, is it for a, a plan of how long it's going to take yeah, what program. they yeah Absolutely. and in terms of building then in costs for yeah. contingencies and things like yeah. that yeah mm. that all has to be worked out yeah we would put together a full tender package and the tender package has all of the drawings of what you're going to be building all of the details and the specifications so it's very very clear this is the package of works and then you now tell us how much that's going to cost they then give you a programme for works which defines how long the project is going to take because if you're renting a house like you've just said and now it takes an extra eight weeks I mean that could be an extra yeah. four or five six thousand euro depending where you're living so that's really vitally important and um, the most important thing though is references if you're not if maybe you know when you work with architects and they have contractors that they've worked with previously um, that's really helpful. If not, recommendations are vital because uh, getting somebody trustworthy, somebody that's not going to try and kind of uh, ratchet up the costs is And speak, really speak to the people who've gone through the experience. You know, so if, if the contractor says, these, these are the projects I've done, you go, oh yeah, that's a great CV. Get a but, personal but recommendation. Get a personal recommendation. Okay. Talk or to maybe go and have a look yeah, yeah, at yeah. a project mm-hmm. they have yes. done, which mm-hmm. is similar to yours, because a good builder isn't going to mind you doing that. They're going to be no. proud of it, aren't they? Absolutely. absolutely. Uh, and of course, not just the builder, you could have electrics yeah. and mm. plumbing mm. and painting and that's all that That's his kind of team, stuff. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah. you're right, absolutely. And it's about coordinating all that and getting a sense of it. So even for a job that you think sounds straightforward there's an awful lot of people and elements Huge, involved yeah. and, in and, and try not to um, make changes as the project <laughs> is on site because that starts <laughs> costing money and I know but you do get when you are improving your home or, or doing it you kind of get a bit obsessed because you want to look at similar things on Instagram and Pinterest and you, you fill your feed with you go, oh I'd love a, a kitchen <laughs> island I never told anybody about or how about putting in a big glass block wall just there is there a lot of that goes on Deirdre? Uh, yes, you, you always do. But we, we we really try and advise clients that before the building work starts, are you happy with everything that we're doing? Because now's the time to change it. Don't do it when the work is on site because then it starts costing you money yeah. that you didn't allow The problem for. is human nature, isn't of it? Of course. You, you kind of set out your stall and decide this is it. But then that... And how, look how's envy? You, yeah, look, <laughs> you look at programmes <laughs> like yours and you think, look, they're looking at all the most fabulous houses in the country I want a mini version of that that doesn't cost much (laughs) don't we all (laughs) don't we all exactly All right. well when we're talking about extensions and renovations what about um, when it's not just for a fancy kitchen but it's to put in um, maybe a bathroom or a downstairs bedroom for somebody maybe who's elderly or disabled there's a lot of that going on Uh, and we're back to that topic about the unused room is it possible Mm. Deirdre how difficult is it to 
model, say, what was maybe a, a sitting room or a, or a dining room as a downstairs no, bedroom? No, it's, it, it's, it's totally, totally doable. We've had to do it recently for my father-in-law and uh, we ended up actually using part of the garage to make an accessible bathroom in there. And then the dining room had to be changed to a bedroom. And it's really just making sure that the person can uh, f- get from one room to another room and that the level... The floors are level and uh, that that it makes it easy for them to get around the home. And it, it, it is something that requires a bit of planning uh, because you obviously need to know if it's going to be a bathroom, that there's access to water supply and waste and that you're not putting it in a very difficult location where it's going to cost a lot of money to, to do that. And of course, there might be like a specialist shower or Correct. wall yes. grips yeah. or things yeah. like that. While we're speaking of uh, elderly people and grannies, uh, what has surged in popularity are these garden rooms, offices, oh, granny the flats. Oh, little at the back garden, yeah. you mean? Yeah, <laughs> and they're, they're really, really popular. And I know I get questions in all the time into my column in the Irish Independent about those and what they can be used for and how much they're going to cost. Uh, they're a cheaper version than the extension, but not by much if you want something really, really fancy. There are rules, though. Peter, about what you can use those for. They can't really be used that's for living right. space. They're supposed right. to be non-habitable. So I suppose that's simply stating you shouldn't be living in it. Um, on the other hand, I suppose, look, the the line between a storage room that you use every now and again and something that you're going to actually live in, um, you know, can be kind of explored. And you do see a lot of them. Um, we saw an amazing one on the show, remember, in uh, The Celebrity Oh, home. John, John yeah. Boyne. He had a lovely studio. Mm. He'd created he a little it office. his ego room. Oh, because it was full of all the books and all of the different languages. Well, I have to say, if I had all the fabulous books and I'd yeah. written them myself that yes. John Boyne has, I'd definitely have an ego room. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. It was amazing, though. It was yes, a beautiful fabulous. place to sit and work. Yeah. And you could yeah. see, you know, it's that thing of um, people who work from home. If you stay in the home and you have a home office, yeah. that's fine. But there's something psychological about walking out door, one door and in another door. And I think a lot of people working at the end of the garden actually makes a huge difference. Mm, And it's like you've left your home. It's like you've gone to work and it works for people. I've spoken to um, parents uh, who, uh, you know, built these huge open plan spaces within their house Mm. uh, when their children were small. And then suddenly they now have young adults who are have nowhere to go and they're lounging on your giant big, big L-shaped sofa and you're saying can you leave please and there's nowhere to go so they, they build these structures in the back garden to kind of act as a you know because a, a, you're nodding your head yeah, no 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 because I, I, we, we, we've had the same now we have a 13 year old at home and our neighbours are similar you know and it's been always open plan and it's fantastic when kids are small but when they get older they need somewhere to go with their friends and you don't want everybody to be in the one room they might want to play games or they want to watch a bit of television or you know have a chat and they don't want the adults in the background so uh, it is something that is is great if you can plan it in advance that you have an opportunity either that a a room can be separated off you know uh, with with folding walls or or, um, that you do have maybe a room that can be a a retreat and and I suppose a garden room is fantastic because you have no noise transfer either sure (laughs) and you can leave them be and and Peter you don't need permission to put up one of those if, if it's within a certain size isn't that right you can, one of you can the have it the garden, garden rooms, rooms. No, it's okay yeah, yeah exactly so you um, can put that in. what we would also see is uh, people building a lot of flexibility into the homes now I think people have become far more aware of aging within a home because it's not only about uh, when you become old and you know you need a downstairs bedroom it's about <clears> just the cycle of life you've got young children so you need a playroom then they get older then they become teenagers and they just want to listen to music you don't want to listen to watch TV you don't want to listen so you can change the house and adapt the house and that same room can eventually become the downstairs bedroom so I know in my own house that's we have a front area that will we're, we're in the, the young children's cycle at the moment but it will become their room and then so you see a house as an organic lifetime yeah, exercise. Absolutely. If you're going to stay there and just don't be afraid the sitting room becomes the dining room, becomes the bedroom, becomes a bit of the kitchen or whatever it is yeah. as time goes absolutely. on. Absolutely. Fluidity. Yeah. Yeah. Well, finally now, of course, you're used to visiting these fabulous houses on Home of the Year. Uh, if somebody wanted to recreate a touch of bling or jazz to their home, uh, but they didn't have maybe the, you know, the, the beautiful houses or the money to do that, what one thing would you suggest that just creates a wow factor in a house? Is it a giant mirror? Is it an open fire? Is it... (laughs) I don't know how to answer that one, actually. If you want to make a statement... um, Oh, God. 
I don't really like statements. <laughs> and be, Peter's nodding going, no, I don't like statements yeah. either. Yeah. Oh, really? No, you need Hugh for that one. <laughs> you go He'd for the big, put, massive chandelier. Or the giant pink velvet oh, yeah, armchair. Absolutely. absolutely. He'd okay. love that. Yeah. yeah, you know, sheepskins. The main <laughs> thing that changes a house most, that has the most impact, is probably a kitchen island. Uh, only because they become instantly the most sociable space. Yes, the everybody they're, gathers. They're practically around them. the law now. Everybody aren't they? gets okay. attracted to them, and yeah. they're just great places. They're multifunctional, and yeah. uh, I think it changes the house. Usually, I know it's not a couch or a big mirror or whatever, yeah. but in terms of how you change, how you use the house, or how you know you enjoy it, I think that is the biggest. Well, impact. we've been talking kitchen, kitchens, and kitchen islands with our designer, uh, Roisin Murphy. So she'll she'll agree with you there. Yeah. Okay. Well, for now, uh, thank you very much for coming in to me, Peter Crowley and Deirdre Whelan. They're at the RDS next weekend. That's Friday to Sunday, the twelfth to the fourteenth, at the Ideal Home Show, and you'll be giving lots of tips and advice. Well, that's it for this episode of the Home Show. Now, while we broadcast at this time on Saturday mornings, we're also available as a podcast first on Fridays. We'll be available on iTunes and Apple Podcasts. Just search for News Talk Home Show and you can stream and subscribe to us there. And we'll be up on other podcast players before long. My thanks to the production team of Elaine Power and Stephen Jordan with Jojo Cardosa on sound. Bobby Kerr's up next on News Talk and my thanks to all the guests this week and I'll talk to you again soon. The Home Show on News Talk. Brought to you by EBS. Let our dedication, focus, and expertise help you on your mortgage journey. EBS DAC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland.